holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to who all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise be, be to you, Lord Christ. Again, welcome to All Saints. We're so glad you're here with us this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Though the grass withers and the flowers fade, your word lasts forever. So this morning, would you make my words and the meditation of all of our hearts pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year's almost. Yes, still Merry Christmas, because one day is not enough to celebrate the majesty of the incarnation of Christ. Um, this Christmas tide, uh, we call it, uh, if your tree is still up, that's a good thing. Uh, you don't have to take it down until Friday. In fact, you might want to leave it as a prop to dance around because uh, do you know what this year's, this season's most popular number one hit song on the Billboard charts was? Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Now, the lyrics are not remarkable, nothing special. However, what is remarkable about this song is it was recorded in 1958. 
by Brenda Lee when she was only 13 years old. And now she's 78. It never even cracked the top 10 when it first came out. And so this Christmas season, 65 years later, she has become a heroine to all septuagenarians and a poster child for waiting patiently. Yes, and that fits with our, our scripture for today. Uh, certainly a remarkable Sunday because it only happens one every seven years in our Christian calendar that we celebrate the feast of presentation of our Lord, not to warm our hearts with a lovely service, but to turn your attention to the waiting, longing, and recognition of God's salvation by prophets Anna and Simeon. Simeon, verse 25, says that he, it says he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. That was a first century term for waiting for the promised Messiah. So he and Anna, with, with their all, they were bent and directed with hope and expectation. The Holy Spirit had told Simeon that he would not see death before seeing the promised Messiah. Now, you probably know, many of you who are churchgoers, that most expected the Messiah to be a military rescuer, to free Israel from the hated Roman occupation and restore her to the glory of King David's rule. But the Holy Spirit enabled them to recognize, to see the Messiah in an unlikely, even absurd circumstance. Two poor, inconspicuous parents from the bottom rung of the Judean society, bringing their son into the temple in Jerusalem in obedience to the Mosaic law. Simeon's response, we see here in verses 29 through 32 that Adam read, we call it the nunc dimittis. That's Latin for the first two words that says, now dismiss me in peace, Lord. I'm ready. My eyes have seen your salvation, your promised Messiah. You know, everyone's on a road to some nuke dimenis. Things we long for or think that we must have to be happy. A peaceful family, multitude of friends, financial security, impact in others' lives, respect, influence, experiences with all sorts of good memories to last. Or if you're like me, a third-generation Longhorn, maybe you're longing for that full orange tower to signify an undisputed football national championship. It's been a long time since 2005, an even longer time since 1970. Our family, we describe, has orange blood. My mother rooted on the Texas Longhorns from age 6 to age 76 every year in Memorial Stadium. Yes, both of my parents were there November 1955 at the pep rally in Gregory Gymnasium when they started this sign, did you know? And growing up in Dallas, our front door, yes, played the doorbell played the eyes of Texas. 
In college, both my mother and I drove a burnt orange car. We, as I said, say that our blood runs orange. And so we would love to see a win tomorrow and another win uh, on January 8th. But we shouldn't let the fun things of life distract us from the ultimate things of life. The lifeblood we really need isn't orange. It's the blood of Christ. And so what will it take for you to die happy, to, to die at peace? What are you longing to see in your life is a question that this passage asks us. What are you striving for to have a good life of joy and peace? C.S. Lewis says, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There's no such thing. For Simeon and for Anna and the Virgin Mary, God's Holy Spirit had directed them to live to see God's salvation. What would that look like for you today? What it looked like for them was the character of Jesus showing himself in his people in at least two ways we're going to look at this morning. Humble obedience and stubborn purpose. First, humble obedience. Consider the humble obedience of Jesus expressed in and through the Virgin Mary. Galatians 4 passage that Heather read for us, God's son who is above the law was born under the law to redeem, to free us from under the law. Think about that. The eternal son of God in obedience, humility to the plan of the eternal father, God the Father came down to free us from the law. What humility. Mary expresses her humility and obedience to the Old Testament law by coming and bringing her child. But before this passage, the verse before describes not the presentation of Jesus, but the circumcision of Jesus. Verse 21 says, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. Now, Jesus was not circumcised to recognize the corruption in his heart like Old Testament Jews recognized in this circumcision rite. He was circumcised in order to fulfill the law perfectly. And he was given the name Jesus in the Greek, Jesus, in the Hebrew, Yeshua, meaning Jehovah, the Lord, is salvation. Think of that. Of all the names that the eternal Son made flesh could be given, it wasn't prophet that was chosen, not king, not judge, not, not priest, but Savior, Deliverer. Redeemer, helper, with mercy and grace. That's what a Savior is. One that offers mercy and grace, help where you need it. Friend, the name of Jesus says something about you and me as much as about him. You and I need him. 
Not enough, it's not enough just to agree intellectually that he's Emmanuel, God with us, the promised Messiah Christ. Is Jesus your Savior? Is he yours? Do you know him personally? That's the question his name calls us to answer. And then the presentation of Jesus in verse 22 is described here. Uh, a mother, a Jewish, faithful Jewish mother, was ceremonially, ceremonially considered unclean for seven days after the birth of a son. And then she must stay away from holy things for another 33 days, according to the law. And so after 40 days, we have here, every first male child was presented to God, according to the law, presented as holy, but along with a lamb and a dove or pigeon. But if you were poor and couldn't afford a lamb, then just two doves or pigeons, no lamb. Consider the holy family. Consider the holy parents, Mary and Joseph here. Of the house and lineage of David, they had royal blood. Kind of like in our country, you might have a Mayflower pedigree or be a son or daughter of the revolution or in Texas, a son or daughter of the republic. And yet their offering was a public declaration of their poverty. What humble obedience. How great your salvation. Friends, I've hesitated to say what I'm about to say, but given that Jesus spoke more in his ministry about money than any other subject besides perhaps himself, even in this year of our capital campaign, I feel like I have a latitude to share this. When I look at our campaign's participation meter, I think of it as the inverse of a thermometer that measures a patient's temperature. With a traditional thermometer, the closer the color gets to filling the top end, the more sick the patient is. But with our participation meter, the closer the color gets to the top, the more healthy our church body is, corporately and individually. And so, friends, if you're a member of All Saints and you're not participating at all in our capital campaign, then may I ask you to consider whether you're being humbly obedient to your membership vows. Now, please realize I don't know who I may be offending this morning. I'm not privy to this information. Our pastors aren't, but God's Spirit has persuaded me that I'm not a faithful pastor to you if I remain silent here. We ask not that you pledge all you have like the poor widow of Luke 21 who entrusted herself to God by putting into the temple treasury all she had to live on. But for the sake of of your spiritual health, we are asking all of our members and regular attenders to participate by pledging something as the Lord leads you. Now, enough meddling and back to preaching. Not only is Mary an inspiration to humble obedience, but Simeon and Anna are also in submission to God's Holy Spirit, the character of Jesus shows himself 
in their humble obedience and, second, in their stubborn purpose. A stubborn purpose that overcomes trials and circumstances. Consider the stubborn purpose of Simeon and Anna. God's Holy Spirit called him to a ministry of staying, waiting, and seeking to see the promised Messiah. God's Holy Spirit called her to decades of prayer and fasting as a widow, oftentimes in the temple. Both of them giving their all to see God's salvation come in his living word. Come in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Today, God calls each Christian in part to a ministry giving our all to seeing God's salvation in his written word. This is why here at All Saints, we offer so many ways for you to study God's word. In middle and high school ministry, in young adults, in men's and women's ministry, our 50-plus ministry certainly, Classes for pre-marrieds we call merge. Classes for marriage we call re-engage. And two new Thursday evening classes, an eight-week series, Parenting on Purpose, will start February 1st. And a four-week series that starts this next Thursday, What the Bible Says About Money. And it's not too late to register for any of these classes. Opportunities to study God's written word. God's people overcome inconvenience and barriers to study God's written word with a stubborn purpose in order to see their salvation in God's written word. But there's more stubborn purpose required to follow Jesus. Look at verse 34. Simeon warns Mary and us, of the stubborn purpose we must have to follow Christ. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. For all we must fall, humbled in repentance before rising to salvation. We fall if we reject him and rise if we accept him and trust him as our Lord and Savior. He is God's sign, opposed by many. Jesus is a sword who pierces the souls and reveals hearts of all who encounter him. Yes, born a child and yet a king. He's the king of kings and lord of lords who claims you as his own. Your choice is either to fight him or submit to him. Either resist or relinquish to his reign. He has come for a stubborn purpose, to bring peace, God and sinners reconciled, but it requires a sword through our hearts. Like a skilled surgeon whose scalpel brings healing and peace to your ailing heart, a skilled surgeon to remove the cancer that you might no longer suffer under it. The antiseptic sting of repentance must come before the peace and joy God offers in Jesus. He has come with a stubborn purpose to disturb the status quo of our lives and to expose our self-orientation 
self-satisfaction, indifference to others' needs. The stubborn purpose of Christmas is that divinity had to intrude upon humanity for the sake of our peace and joy. Peace and joy personally and peace and joy for the world. Does this holiday message disturb you? It should. Consider this message very personally. The scandal of God becoming man. It had to happen because you are that much of a hopeless sinner. Not your obnoxious neighbor, not your impossible boss, not your difficult family member, not your rebellious child, not your ungrateful spouse, but you and I. It's scandalous in at least two ways that you and I are such a helpless sinner and that he loved you and me so much he refused to live without us. He has come with a stubborn purpose and he wants his people to live with a stubborn purpose that overcomes the trials and circumstances of this fallen world. In a moment, we will hear sung, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, the lyrics from a poem written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, actually wrote it on Christmas Day. But in the midst of personal tragedy and remorse from the loss of his wife and serious injury of his son, the third verse reveals the agony of his circumstances. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. However, as if he's suddenly reminded of the presence of Christ now and his promised return and restoration to make all things new, the next verse responds in hope and faith in Christ. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Where did Longfellow find the stubborn purpose for such joy and peace in the midst of tragic personal circumstances? The answer, no doubt, is the same place Simeon found the same thing in the midst of Roman occupation by seeking and fixing his eyes on God's salvation. Recently, I read a biographical essay on Johann Sebastian Bach. Today, he's considered one of the most brilliant composers ever to live. There are more recordings of Bach's music than of any other composer, over 1,000 different albums recorded. And yet, as a composer, he went unappreciated in his lifetime. In 1722, There were five applicants to be a town's director of music, and he was one of them, but he was number three. After the first two candidates declined the offer, one was made to Bach, at which point a councilman said, quote, 
since we cannot get the best, we will have to be satisfied with a mediocre one. It wasn't until almost a hundred years later, after his death, when Mendelssohn rediscovered and performed one of Bach's compositions to great fanfare that Bach was finally appreciated as a great composer. What motivated Bach to continue composing in the face of such disinterest? The answer is he wrote his music for God. He lived for an audience of one. Most of his works are explicitly biblical. The renowned missionary doctor Albert Schweitzer, who was also an expert on Bach, called him the fifth evangelist. Each of Bach's compositions, you may know this if you've seen them, each of his compositions begins in his own handwriting with JJ, standing for the Latin phrase, Jesu Jusa, Jesu Juva, meaning Jesus, help me. And it ends in his own hand, SDG, the Latin phrase for soli deo gloria, meaning to the glory of God. You see, fundamentally, Bach saw his job not as being successful and acclaimed, but being faithful to God with what God had given him. Similar to Anna, who when her eyes saw God's salvation, verse 38 says, she began to speak of him to all who were waiting for redemption. In other words, she became a gossip. She became uh, the gossip of the temple, gossiping the gospel to anyone who would listen. Wherever God has you today, with whatever gifts, abilities, circumstances, or opportunities, let us first mark each step with JJ, Jesus help me, and after each step with SDG, to the glory of God. And let us, like Anna, who have seen God's salvation in Jesus Christ, speak of him to all. Let us go, tell it on the mountain and everywhere till Gabriel blows his horn. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you that you give us eyes to see your salvation. We thank you, Lord Christ, that you have come in Jesus For anyone who does not know you as Savior and Lord, would you give them eyes to see this morning that they might entrust themselves to you and know your joy and peace. We pray in the strong and precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.